Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 133 and we are recording on July 8th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams. And today, in addition to our usual news, we're going to talk about books that we think are quote unquote blockbuster summer reads. Sharifa, what do we mean by that? <laughs> I mean all sorts of things. So I think of like blockbuster summer reads as giving me the same thing I get from blockbuster movies. So mm. often when I think about blockbuster books I'm thinking about books that are uh, really action-packed and Mm. fun and exciting and have a sort of I don't know like popcorn summer movie style readability how how Mm -hmm. were you thinking about it were you thinking about it any differently I mean, that's pretty much where I landed, too. I was, like, poking around it in my brain, you know, trying to figure (laughs) out, like, thinking about, like, okay, what are my favorite, like, blockbuster summer movies? Yeah. And this is actually a good time for it because I just saw Everything Everywhere All at Once (gasps) last night. So good. And it was pretty great. Yeah, I I was very impressed with what they managed to pull off. Like, there were a few moments where I was like, but mostly I was like, this is fantastic. And, um... And it felt to me like a super smart, what should be a a blockbuster, quite frankly. Uh, But yeah, like a super smart blockbuster. But then I also have like... Some will know about my obsession with the Fast and Furious franchise, which I would never claim as super smart, but it is super fun. So, you know, that was kind of like the range, I guess, of um, blockbuster. So those are like on my blockbuster spectrum in terms of like what I'm comparing these books to, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. And and yeah, I think that we are definitely on the same page, especially with like between uh, The Fast and the Furious, which I am not as uh, a fandomy about (laughs) as you, but enjoy those movies and 100% (laughs) think they are a summer blockbuster and everything everywhere all at once as well. Uh, I think that we probably have a lot of picks that have some similarities. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's do a sponsor and then get into our news segment. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. 
The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Okay, where do I want to start? Well, since we were talking about movies, let's go right into this Hocus Pocus 2 news. So the good part of this is that a trailer has dropped for Hocus Pocus 2, and I am on record as being a huge fan of the first movie and of the book that came out with a a Hocus Pocus on the all-new sequel. So I have been following this news pretty closely. I know we talked recently about how excited I was that three uh, drag queens uh, who you might know from reality TV, Ginger Minj, Kamora Hall, and Cornbread Jete are going to be in this movie. So the big update um, from Variety, uh, written up by Sasha Urban, is that there is now a trailer. It looks so much fun. It does. It looks so much fun. <laughs> and I really appreciate how like they've expanded the cast. Uh, it looks very inclusive in terms of, you know, different types of people, different races showing up on screen, which is nice because the first one was obviously extremely white. And uh, they are not, this is not a movie version of the book sequel. I think it's important to point out. This Mm -hmm. is clearly like alternate universe branching, you know, opportunities here for the Hocus Pocus, the Hocus Pocus expanded universe. That's a thing now, I've decided. (laughs) That's a thing. You have made it a thing. I I didn't make it a thing. They made it a thing. Like they they did it. They're producing all this Um, stuff. I'm just calling it that. So yeah, so we have... Uh, a bunch of new characters, and it does look extremely fun. Did you watch the trailer? I did, and I got really excited for it as well. I was like, firstly, of course, I was uh, locating the tropes, but I was like, wow, it's so rare yes. you see a little uh, coven of two. So yeah. I'm really interested in learning more about our two main protagonists and Mm -hmm. um, I was also really happy to see one of my favorite 
Ted Lasso stars. Yes. Uh, who is also going to be joining the cast, Hannah Waddingham, who plays uh, Rebecca in Ted mm-hmm. Lasso. I didn't I didn't see her in the trailer unless I no, missed her somehow. No. It was very short. So it's a teaser trailer. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, I really can't wait for the comedy. I think I just love when yeah. you get a combination of occult and comedy. I think that they mm-hmm. they pair excellently together. And I'm also really excited that I'll be able to see this streaming on Disney Plus yes. instead of having to go to the theater. That's my hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> yeah, that combination of camp comedy in particular yes, and, and spookiness like is really delightful. So um, I'm I've already like booked a double feature with my friend. <laughs> like we're gonna wear our witch hats and you know eat pumpkin uh. pie and watch these, and it's gonna be fantastic. That sounds excellent. But- yeah, it's going to be. I mean, I do. I literally do a hocus pocus watch party every year That's before right. Halloween. So That's now right. it's just it's turning into a double feature. Um, but you know, in in modern times, as we know, all our faves are problematic. Ugh. So I just want to note here that um, Bette Midler is w- among the latest celebrities to completely misunderstand the difference between using gender-inclusive language and trying to erase women, which is not yeah. what's happening here. Um, the Mary Sue has written this, this up. Uh, Rachel Leishman is the author, and um, it, you'll note from the piece that Bette Litter, Midler and Macy Gray were both tweeting about, you know, these these transphobic tweets about disliking terms like birthing people, which I just want to say out loud, using a term like that means that you're talking about not just women, but other folks of other genders who also can give birth. Like, it's an expansion of the conversation meant to include many people. It is not trying to replace the term women with the term birthing people like those are not the same thing (laughs) and that's the problem with language is that some people don't understand and are still catching up I hope that Bet and others catch up quickly it would be nice if they did but here we are let's just (sighs) note that yeah it's really disappointing you are right like so many of our faves are problematic and I just wish they would I also hope that they just learn something from this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen. I just hope yeah. that it does. <laughs> Same. Um, okay. I am the harbinger of bad news, it seems, because I'm going to go into another piece of adaptation news and it's to announce the sad news from pop culture reported on by Michael Hine that Peacock has canceled the adaptation of the Greenbone saga by Fonda Lee and I remember us talking about this early on when it got picked up and I try not to get like attached to news mm. about adaptations when they are in early days, uh, mm-hmm. for instance, when the rights get picked up, uh, because you never know what's going to happen. And often enough, a lot of these production companies will, 
you know, pick up things really quickly and all at once, but not necessarily have a realized plan for moving forward on production. Um, and so the rights will um, go, you know, they'll just go into a sort of hi- hibernating mode or something. They just will <laughs> limbo. They, yeah, they'll go in limbo. And um, so it sounds like Fonda Lee actually announced this herself on Twitter that um, she was sad to share that after years in development, Peacock decided not to move forward with the TV show of Jade City. Um, I, I just really was excited, as I always am, to see fantasy and science fiction adaptations of books that are set in non-Western worlds um, mm. And that have potential to include a really diverse cast of characters, characters we don't often get to see highlighted on screen. So I'm, I was really sad about this news, um, but I really hope that, and I'm going to actually talk about another uh, situation similar to this one in one of my book picks. I hope that it has the same sort of situation where maybe Peacock decides to let the rights lapse, but another production company comes along and picks it up. But I just wanted to let everybody else who was hoping to see that know that it's it's not coming out so far from Peacock. But womp. I know. I I mean, the Greenbone Saga is actually could also have easily been one of our picks for a blockbuster. Oh, book, yeah. Right. Like it's absolutely got that action and adventure and lots of different characters and really compelling storyline. Definitely page turner popcorn worthy. Um, but I will. Yes. Yeah, so I'm bummed that this is delayed. Um, hopefully somebody else picks it up. I do have to say I was dying over the shade in Fonda Lee's tweets because <laughs> one of the tweets says on the plus side, now I don't have to subscribe to Peacock. And I like, lost oh, it. I thought I that totally was missed so that. funny. <laughs> I was dying. I was like, well, Fonda Lee, well done. Well done. <laughs> I, too, no longer have to worry about subscribing to Peacock. So silver lining, I guess. <laughs> yeah, same, same. That was great. I don't know how I missed that shade, but that is excellent. Wonderful uh, throwdown, Fonda Lee. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, all right. So this is just a fun one to uh, call out here. The AV Club has apparently been doing a ranking, uh, the 100 best Marvel characters, and they just recently posted the top 20. And I confess, I only just like discovered that this was happening. So I've only looked at the top 20. And honestly, all I kind of care about is the top 10, which is an interesting <laughs> list. I, I'm i going to spoil it for you. Black Panther, T'Challa is number one, which I like heart, wholeheartedly support, yes. I think. Like, yes, there's so many reasons why Black Panther should be at the top of this list as a superhero. And 
Yeah, I'm into it. I was happy to see Wolverine make the top 10 because I think we forget about the X-Men um, totally when we did. think about Marvel, right? Like, and like, you know, Professor X is in here um, and Magneto actually, like a, a bunch of the X-Men. <clears throat> well, no, just those three, I'm pretty sure, are in this top list here, um, which I was excited about. Um, I also did like to see Shang-Chi in here, uh, number 12. Um, I don't know that I agree with this actual ranking otherwise like you know <laughs> I, I would have to think about it a little bit more um, oh Miles Morales is number five which I he is one of my favorite Spideys so yes. there is that as well but you know whatever it's a fun thing it's very fun you know to argue about I mean this is just like argue bait from top to <laughs> bottom <laughs> it absolutely is it absolutely yes. is. Uh, because so, I like, was well like, played AV Club, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, Miles Morales is my favorite Spider-Man over Tom Holland. So I was yes. already nitpicking that. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a second. We only get like, you know, a uh, uh, woman Marvel character at number 10, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Captain Mar oh yeah, Captain Marvel and Wanda are both in here, but otherwise it is very dude heavy. Yeah. Sure. Oh, Black Widow, we do get Black Widow. Yeah, Black Widow is know. number ten, and that's the first. That's the first one, and I, I have feelings about that are probably more about Scarlett Johansson than Black Widow. Yeah. But I was like, yeah. Uh, I mean, Storm should 100% be yes! up here. Yes. Like, speaking amazing. of X-Men. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why. So I 100% fell into the trap of being, like, quibbles abounding. <laughs> but I was also really happy to see some of my favorite characters. I'm a big Loki fan because yes. I love a chaotic... Uh, morally gray, but mostly morally uh, untethered character. So I'm I'm a big Loki fan. So I was happy to see him listed here. Um, and there are a bunch of other favorites of mine. I mean, Professor X is one of my like classic favorites from back in the days of like the X-Men animated TV show. Mm -hmm. I was like, I just want to be I just want to be as wise as yeah. Professor Charles Xavier one mm -hmm. day. So that was really cool to see. And uh, it's a really fun list to, again, fight with friends about. <laughs> yeah, totally. I guess it's worth noting that uh, they are doing on-screen characters here, not comics character not like they're lim they're focusing specifically on characters who have been on screen oh, and okay. we we haven't had an amazing storm since the cartoon uh, yeah. in my opinion um we've had okay storms but we haven't had amazing ones and so that might also be part of this but the comic the cartoon storm was fantastic so, so that good. counts as on screen i i'm going to write the av club a letter no I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Animated characters count. Whatever. Yeah. Like Miles Morales is on here. That's as, true. Yeah. You know, from Into the Spider Verse. So, just saying. Uh, just saying. I do live for the day we get a great live action. Yes. On screen storm. Yeah. Somebody make it same. happen. Hard same. All right. Back with some bad news. I'm sorry. <laughs> I 
I don't know how I picked these today. I did not no. intend to do this. It's just what's out there. It is. And this was reported on uh, by Book Riot, uh, our Breaking in Books feature. And it was to announce that Yu-Gi-Oh! creator Katsuki Takahashi was actually found dead at sea. So this is a really strange story and really unfortunate. It's just one of those things where it's like, this is a, who could have predicted it? It's such a tragedy. Um, But Takahashi, it, it seems to be that he was on a snorkeling trip off the coast of Nago in Okinawa. And he was later found dead in the sea. And, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! I I was never, I never really got into Yu-Gi-Oh! Which began as a manga. um, And then, of course, became its whole, like a whole Mm -hmm. enterprise. Um, Yeah. And I never really got into it. I think I came to it late and then I was kind of past my manga years and it seemed like one of those, you know, franchises that had already been plumbed and I just ended up hearing so much about it. And I think anybody who is an anime fan or a manga fan um, has probably definitely heard of Yu-Gi-Oh! So it's this Mm -hmm. huge popular franchise um, that includes, of course, the trading card game. And so I'm sure a lot of fans out there are grieving the loss of its creator. And it's really sad. It's sad when people go in general. It's it's Mm -hmm. sad when people go from, you know, just unexpected surprise accidents. And right now, it's uh, his death is being investigated by the Coast Guard. So not a lot of information other than what uh, we've talked about here, but just a really sad news story. Um, and I feel for all the fans out there and for Takahashi's friends and family. Yeah. Ah, well, that's that's that for that. I should have <laughs> found something happy to end on. <laughs> I'm All right. Sorry. We can take a moment to yeah. honor, you know, a past creator. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, here we go. We're gonna we're gonna do another sponsor and then we will get into our picks for blockbuster reads. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. 
But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. All right. Well, I guess I'm going to kick us off, and I'm going to start with the the book I was kind of alluding to in the story about Fonda Lee's adaptation being dropped. So Children of Blood and Bone by Tomiata Yemi is a book I always think of when I think about like a big epic summer fantasy and I think that it's because it appeals to both the cinephile and the gamer in me. So mm. Children of Blood and Bone is the first book in the legacy of Orisha series. And um, I do want to note that for anybody who really likes to start a series and complete it, the third and final book, the last I check, checked, it was it isn't out until next year so. Just a, a fair warning, especially because it is very cliffhangery, and <laughs> I think that a lot of people will just want to continue reading it. But I still really recommend reading the first book if that doesn't bother you, especially if your idea of a summer blockbuster is epic, action-packed fantasy fe- featuring some really compelling heroines. Uh, and last I checked, so this is where the adaptation stuff comes in. So it was picked up, I believe, by Lucasfilm originally for adaptation, and then it was dropped later on. And then recently, Paramount Pictures bought the rights to the adaptation. So there's an example of a story of, you know, an adaptation being dropped and then picked up again, which is giving me Mm. hope. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm not going to speculate about whether it'll come to fruition, but I, I really hope it does because... This book has a lot of cinematic potential, and I really want to see a Nigeria-inspired fantasy world on screen. Um, So the story follows Zeli, who goes on this really epic quest to bring magic back to Orisha. And the story is told from a few perspectives. So we have Zeli, who's really headstrong. She's really quick to anger, um, and she's she's a survivor. She has had to be in survival mode all her life. She has a lot to lose if she fails on this quest. 
Then we have Amaris who has always lived this sort of life of privilege, but then her whole perspective gets turned around by an event. She witnesses something that happens um, that makes her rethink all of her feelings and her thoughts about her father specifically. And then we have Inan, who's Amari's brother, who's a young man coming up in the world, and he's really devoted to their father. As Zeli's brother Zane is also along for the ride, and in the story, Zeli and Amaris in particular have very little in common. Um, you know, Zeli wants to jump headfirst into everything. Amaris is more reserved and uncertain and careful. She's someone who's lived in a bubble all her life. She's really new to rebellion, uh, but kicks things off with a very striking moment of rebellion, I think. Uh, but both of the young women in the story are out to make the world a better place. So that's what unites them in a way. And Zeli specifically belongs to an oppressed people. And she's seen firsthand the cruelty of this place, Orisha, as it is ruled by the current leadership. And, you know, right from the outside, uh, the outset, we see some really horrific examples of how it's impacted her family. So in the story, the crew has a really long way to go, not just in their actual journey, but also just in working as a team together and learning to trust each other and to find understanding and empathy, even though they come from very different backgrounds and may not agree on all of the things. Uh, but in addition to some of the character development you get in this story, we also have some really great action scenes, which are my fave. So you have these big brawls, you have these chaotic chase scenes and hostage attempts. Uh, you also get giant cats, lionaires, and these are, are cats that are big enough for people to ride like horses, which is horrifying to me because cats are uh, <laughs> not always the best. I love them and I have one <laughs> myself, but I would not want Tabitha to be that big because she would probably just <laughs> bat me around and go on her merry way. But they're cool in this story. <laughs> uh, and then other than that, you know, you have Yoruba-inspired magic, which is personally really interesting to me. Um, and everything about the story and the storytelling is very visceral. You feel like you are in the scene. You are in the moment and the setting. And it is a page turner. It's It looks like a chunky book. It's big. It's like a bit of a doorstop. But I finished it so quickly. And I think I've mentioned before that I'm a relatively slow reader. But there was no part of it that felt like a slog to me. And I definitely stayed up way past my bedtime on a couple of occasions because I just wanted to know what was going to happen. So it's a really great read. I think it's a particularly good one for summer when you're feeling that blockbuster mood. Again, that was Children of Blood and Bone. And this is the first book in the Legacy of Orisha series by Tomi Adeyemi. Awesome. Uh, I I actually ended up picking series for both of my I saw that. picks, which I didn't intend to do. It just sort of happened. 
And my fantasy pick is the Kate Kane Paranormal Investigator series by Alexis Hall, which currently has four books, and I believe there's a fifth one in the works. And I've been catching up with them as part of my like summer fun reading. Mm-hmm. And so they immediately sprang to mind when I was thinking about like what would make a great you know, visual summer blockbuster slash is already a great summer blockbuster. And I will say when I think about like, okay, because I can't not think about this in movie and TV terms. So when I think about the Kate Kane series, I'm thinking about like the very British humor of Good Omens Mm. like and that sort of wacky fantasy flavor, plus the deep, deep world building of like The Witcher. So those are my comps for this series. Kate Kane is, as Alexis Hall describes her, a disaster lesbian, <laughs> which cracks me up every time. That. She is a disaster lesbian, though. She often makes poor choices. She struggles with adulting. Uh, she also happens to be the daughter of a very chaotic neutral fairy queen and a vanilla mortal man and so she has some like special powers that always land her in hot water she gets hired to deal with supernatural occurrences and over the course of these four books though like i said deep world building like there like there's a trip to hell the holy grail comes into things eventually there's werewolves there's vampires like very sexy vampires side note super sexy oh. um there's also this subplot in which kate like dated it's like a very like bella and edward situation but if like bella grew up to be a disaster lesbian like she dated this vampire patrick when she was a teenager and like that she like obviously was not the greatest relationship for her in a lot of ways and patrick keeps popping up and like being obsessed and broody about things and it cracks me up every time um there's just amazing supporting characters there's so many interesting pull-ins from different mythologies and you know fantasy stories like Hall is just like pulling in everything in the kitchen sink which makes it really fun to keep reading because you're like who is going to show up next what is going to show up next um it also all takes place in London, so you get, like, a lot of, you know, it's got that urban paranormal vibe, so you get to traipse around London. Like, Hampstead Heath actually has, like, a portal to the fairy world in it. Surprise! Like, who knew? <laughs> uh, and it's just really fun. It's really fun. It is very enjoyable. And, you know, Hall has a great sense of humor. And, um, yeah, so, like, Terry Pratchett, you know, Neil Gaiman, plus all of that deep, 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 expansive world building and extremely queer. Uh, So there's a lot to love here. um, And it is extremely good for summer reading. I think you can just dive into these books and lose yourself in the disaster adventures of Kate. And (laughs) it's a really enjoyable time, I think. So, yeah, again, that's the Kate Kane Paranormal Investigator series. By Alexis Hall, the first one is called Iron and Velvet. I will never get over disaster lesbian. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> same, same. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, my next pick is a standalone. This is a sci-fi pick, and I, or I guess you could call it more speculative. I would put it in either category, honestly. But it's the Dreamers by Karen Thompson Walker. 
And this one just sort of came to mind randomly. It's been a minute since I read it. But when I did, uh, I definitely got that summer movie vibe. So it's set in this quiet college town in California where this strange epidemic begins. And what's happening is that people in the town are are falling asleep and they're not waking up. So it becomes a sort of wasting disease and it's it causes panic and quarantine. So of course, like this is one of a million books that I have read that have like some sort of quarantine or epidemic or pandemic mm. situation. But but it's still like just bear with me because it still has like <laughs> these summer blockbuster vibes. Um so uh you know a horrifying mass illness but the reason I chose this book is because when I think of the summer blockbuster movies I've enjoyed they tend to be movies about this major phenomenon or or even disaster that unites a lot of different stories where you sort of get to see how people in various circumstances deal with the disaster and also how or even if their stories come together. And in these movies, there tends to be this, you know, big action sequence as a sort of culmination when everything comes to heads. And there is that in this book. This this has all of that for me. But also we get these sort of quieter moments where backstory comes in. And the beauty of a book versus, you know, a movie sometimes is that you get to have a lot more backstory and you get to read more about what the characters are like and get a little bit more granular with their history and their motivations. And in this book, you definitely get a clearer picture of the characters and what they're up to and why they might react to this strange incident in the ways that they do. And, you know, with the the characters in mind specifically, uh, one of my favorite things about these movies is that you are always bound to be introduced to some interesting characters. I think summer blockbusters in particular about these disasters or strange phenomenon tend to have like some pretty quirky characters. You know, you got to keep up the entertainment and the interest. And in this story, you get some really fascinating stories uh, to follow. So you get, for instance, a quiet college student who has these really unpleasant experiences, honestly, among her peers in college. And then you get a young girl who is the daughter of this this guy who's been preparing for the end times all her life. So her entire history has been one of, you know, her parent trying to prepare for the end times. And then you have a couple who are new parents and a doctor who's in town to study the epidemic. And then you also just get a bunch of smaller stories where a bunch of other people are affected. So, you know, uh, 
instead of a global disaster like you would usually get in the kind of blockbuster movie I'm describing, everything happens in this one in this one small town. But that really doesn't tamp down on the drama. I also found this book as well difficult to put down. It's standard length novel, but a, a really quick read in my opinion. And it very much has that feel of, you know, the 90-minute movie. I know that's not how mm. long most movies are these days. <laughs> They're uh, a little bit longer. <laughs> Just a bit. Yeah. But uh, it has that sort of, like, quick, really satisfying entertainment, uh, entertaining quality. Um, and just a really fascinating premise. Like, who knows what's going on in the human brain half the time? We only know so much about how it works. And the story really is about the human brain and what's going on in this weird dream world and what's happening to these people in these situations who actually come down with the illness and why does it work the way it does? So I just thought that this was really fascinating and really put the speculation in speculative fiction. It was just a hey. solid <laughs> I I prepared that one. <laughs> I bet you did. It's not off the cuff. Uh, but it's a really, really great read. I recommend it. And it was kind of like an under-the-radar book. So, again, that was The Dreamers by Karen Thompson-Walker. Nice. Yeah, my sci-fi pick is definitely on the thinky, smart side plus action and I think mm -hmm. it achieves actually a really nice balance of those things it's The Centennial Cycle by Malka Older which I was like oh we haven't talked about that series in a while oh, yeah. like, let's, let's remind everybody that that trilogy is complete and mm -hmm. really really good although I guess I, I would say that I would not mind another book in the series and it is called A Cycle so technically it could be more than three but I haven't heard anything about a fourth but maybe someday <laughs> uh, so Yes. So the first book is Infomocracy, which, you know, a lot of y'all have heard us talk about, I think, in the past. Number two was Null States. And number three is State Tectonics. Also great titles. Side note. Yeah. Um, and this series explores a near future in which democracy has sort of taken on a whole new manifestation. It's pretty much global. Not entirely, but pretty much. And it's micro-democracy. So every, you know... Instead of having like countries, instead you have these sort of pockets of, I think it's like 100,000 people, hence the centennial um, name of the uh, cycle. And, um, and everybody can vote to, you know, what kind of government they want. And there's like a bajillion parties. And some of them are like corporation specific and some of them are like free love party. And like they're, they like run a whole gamut. And obviously, the election for this is quite complicated. So there is this sort of like Google Facebook mashup that runs everything called the information. And it's their job to make sure that the citizens literally have correct information. So like... There's not supposed to be any fake news in this system. The information is constantly checking parties' claims and saying, like, this is true, this is not in real time. So, like, it's supposed to be, you know, everybody has the actual real information that they need to make decisions. And, like, as I talk about this series, I'm just like, <laughs> it just gets more and more <laughs> relevant to our lives. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Malka, why? Um, so anyway, uh, and, of course, there are people out there who don't, 
want things to work that way. And the information is an organization that has its own agenda. And you meet a ton of different characters. My favorite is Mishima, who is like this combo, like covert agent slash, you know, action spy slash like very thoughtful and smart person um, who works for the information and there are amazing action sequences usually involving her most memorably to my mind is one where she is literally on rollerblades like fighting off assassins (laughs) like what it's incredible (laughs) so good I think that's in book two if I recall correctly Um, could be book three but it's one it's either two or three and Like, I just think that there's so much interesting thought experiment going on here, as well as, like I said, it's a nice balance of thinkiness with action. So if you like a little bit more of, you know, as Sharifa said, that speculation aspects of your sci-fi and you want some action, this is an amazing series. It's going to make you think really, really hard about (laughs) how, you know, democracy works, like what Uh. is possible in a democratic system, like... What does it mean to fight, you know, fake news? What does it mean to be an organization that works for the public? Like all of these things that are like super timely and relevant to our lives. And also, you know, explosions and battles and roller skate fights and things like that. So uh, there's a lot going on in here. I think it's all really well done. And yeah, and it's a complete, well, as far as we know, it's a complete series. So that's always a great summer reading project, I think, um, either to finish if you started and then fell off or to start from some fre- from fresh. So again, that's The Centennial Cycle by Malka Older, and the first book is Infomocracy. That's an excellent pick. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And is that it? Do we do it all? We did. We did. That's our show. So, all right. Those are our blockbuster summer reads for you. Have fun. Uh, We'd love to hear, as always, what your picks are. So we'll get to that in a minute. SFFia is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. Many thanks to her for helping make us sound great each and every episode. If you would like more book recommendations, you can have those there at bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. As always, thank you so much for listening. And do email us at sffia at bookriot.com. Pet pictures, your favorite summer reads, (laughs) whatever you want to send in there. Well, mostly whatever. (laughs) All of the nice things that you want to send in there are welcome. (laughs) Speaking of nice things. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Speaking of nice things, if you would like to review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, we super appreciate it. It does help other sci-fi fantasy nerds to find the show. And speaking of finding things, uh, Sharifa, where can people find you in between shows? They can find me on Instagram. I'm at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. I'm on a little bit of a break, but one day I'll post again Mm -hmm. somewhere. (laughs) And in the meantime, obviously, we're here. We will talk to you next time.